You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Captivate and on Patreon. You can get bonus content of our show on either of those platforms or on Apple Podcasts with a private subscription to the Amazal Ministries Podcast Network. Exodus 35, 10-19. Let all the skilled artisans among you come and make everything that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tents and coverings, its clasp and supports, its crossbars, its pillars and bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the curtain for the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand for light with its utensils and lamps, as well as the oil for light, the altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, the entryway screen for the entrance to the tabernacle, the altar of point offering with its bronze gates, its poles and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, the hangings in the courtyard, its posts and bases, and the screen for the gate of the courtyard, the tent pegs for the tabernacle, and the tent pegs for the courtyard, along with their ropes, and especially woven garments for the ministry in the sanctuary, the holy garment for the priest Aaron, and the garments for his sons to serve as priests. Here Moses is having the children of Israel prepare the tabernacle in the way that God commanded him. Uh, we see everyone working together for crafts, like arts and crafts kind of stuff, tailoring robes, decorating the worship area, all of that. And even though we're no longer under the law of Moses today as Christians, we believe aesthetics can still play an important part of worship. Uh, Reverend Kelly O'Sullivan, why do you believe God had the people of Israel put so much into the decor of the worship area? And what can the church today learn from that? So I believe looking at the both the Old Testament um, and in, in Genesis and creation, and uh, later on in the building of the tabernacle, there's a representation of creation as it should be um, in the Garden of Eden and the way it's described. And then later on with the temple and the aesthetics. In Hebrews 8 verse 5, we hear um, the writer of Hebrews reference the Old Testament. He says, they serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. When Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. There's a sense in which uh, the temple, as it was built in the Old Testament, was intended to, to reference and um, symbolize and even overlap with what was taking place in heaven. And you see in both Isaiah, when Isaiah is taken up into heaven, has this vision of, of heavenly worship uh, in a throne room, and then in Revelation, where John is taken into this throne room and there's heavenly worship going on. There's a throne, there's an altar, there's all of these different things. What happens in the in the temple, in the tabernacle is intended to reflect what's going on in heaven. And so that's what I, I think is happening uh, in, in, in the tabernacle in Exodus. Good stuff. Hey everybody, welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. We are still in our ecumenical aesthetic series, as you can tell from, from this intro here we got going on. Um, TJ will not be able to join us this time. We had a cancellation. We told you guys uh, Shana Watson was going to be able to come on. But instead, we have another return guest, one of your favorites, another Anglican minister, um, an old college friend of mine, the one and only Kelly O'Sullivan. How's it going, Kelly? <laughs> going good i love to be called a favorite <laughs> yeah yeah man uh, yeah it, it's it's been it's been a while man um yeah i think the last time you and i talked and we were talking about this beforehand was right around when our oldest was born and that was almost three years ago 
Oh yeah, it's kind of a, a whole church throwback for. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, and and I, I think I feel like um, I'm trying to remember. I, I know you had some stuff going on with your ministry since then. Did you, yes. you become a? Um, you got ordained since last time, right? Am I thinking? Yeah. So I think I was already ordained a deacon, but I've since been made a priest. Uh, for those okay. who are not familiar with Anglicanism, priest is just uh, a corruption of the Greek word presbyter, uh, which means elder or uh, yeah, I mean pastor. You know. So, um, so I've been ordained as as a, uh, a priest, and um, and since then, as new as of this January this year, I'm at a new church. So I was at Good Shepherd for nine years, uh, and Good Shepherd was a uh, uh, started as a church plant, and then um, I received a job offer, and I took it uh, from Christ Church in Winston, and they were the mother church of Good Shepherd. So I, I oh, wow. uh, went back to mothership, I guess you could say. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I feel like um, not many people get to ask their old college friends, "Do we call you Father now?" <laughs> <laughs> you can call me Father. Um, you could, you could call me Kelly. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I think one of the other historic titles was Mr. So, um, you know, like the Reverend Mr. was like a, a title. That was like a whole thing. Um, just, I, I've heard someone call me Pastor Kelly and it, I just did not like the sound of that. So if you could avoid that, it's just, it just sounds just that weird kind of country. I don't, I don't know. So, At your church, yeah. do they usually call you father or is it? Uh, yeah, actually, father. Um, father okay. is, is typically what they call me, but um, I'll answer to Kelly. Um, as, as I've heard other people say, you can call me anything, just don't call me late for dinner. That's funny. I, uh, Scrubs is one of my favorite shows, and the janitor gets mad because someone calls him stupid. He's like, people call me many things, and he lists all these terrible things. And one of the th- terrible things he's been called was Josh, apparently. So I, I take <laughs> some slight offense to that, but it's fine. <laughs> oh, man. So... Anyway, <laughs> um, since Dieter's not here, I have to fill in his parts. So mm-hmm. if you guys would, if you want to see other shows like ours, you can go to the Amazon Ministries podcast, the AMP Network website. There's a link down below. See, uh, you know, Brandon Knight's My Seminary Life. I do Dummy for Theology over there. Um, Pastor Will has the homily with Pastor Chill Will over there. So, you know, check all that out. Um, make sure that you're on our store, getting some comfy t-shirts some merch to represent the show and to help us keep the lights on. We'd appreciate it. And now Kelly, as you know, I have a favorite spiritual practice on this show. Wow. One that without fail always causes engenders extra unity. I see extra unity and that's silliness. So we start our show with a silly question today. I don't know why I never prepare myself for my own questions. Today, which Old Testament story would make for the best play put on by the Peanuts characters? This one, this one's rough. Um, I'm going to go a little bit, I don't know if this is considered generic. Like, I feel like people are expecting me to pull out a weird story from the Bible, but I'm going to do, I I think it's a more popular one. I'm thinking Ruth would be pretty good. So you don't have too much violence or anything. They're able to, because, you know, Ruth doesn't say the word God. So they're able to do their, like, thing where they do, like, spiritual, but not, like, blatantly, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I still think at the end, you could have um, Lionel come out and give his speech, you know, with his blanket and everything, like the Christmas speech. But, uh, yeah, Ruth, like, Ruth would work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's good. I think, you know, I think, um, coming up with something at the last minute, sometimes you come up with the most creative. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, 
So I, I had trouble with this zone. I would have wanted to go violent. Um, but my thought was, I mean, I'm just thinking of Charlie Brown and, and Lucy who just pulls the football away from him. Uh, and the trickery, uh, the uh, giving her old uh, <laughs> trickery and a switcheroo there. Yeah. Um, may, reminds me of, and I don't know how they would pull this off. I don't think they would, but Laban and his daughters, you know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how that would work. Uh, that would but, be interesting. Yeah. So uh, there you go. Oh, yeah. And it would probably not be a normal <laughs> children's uh, uh, peanuts uh, episode. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I, um, I thought about like King Josiah's story. Like that would be cool. That I was like, wait, that way too much violence. We can't do that. <laughs> or um, Ezra would be a fun play, I think. Like Ezra Nehemiah. Would be a good book. Like that book would be a good play. Yeah. But yeah. maybe not for the peanuts. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> with the silliness out of the way, we have a few questions we're asking everybody. Um, because everybody in the series I as what I mean. Um, because one reason we do this series is that we have a belief that beauty can bring people closer to God and to one another. So some questions to go with that. Um, starting off, could you tell us a time? When you've seen God in the beauty of creation, like, you know, the great outdoors kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, there have been a few times um, I remember, and it's predominantly when I'm, I'm trying to look for it. You know, um, I, I think I'm not always the most focused person. So um, uh, we, we had gone on a men's retreat at uh, Laurel, Laurel Ridge uh, in, in North Carolina, which is a Moravian uh, retreat center and going on hikes there. Uh, there's really, I mean, and, and in the fall, um, it's really a beautiful, I mean, just beautiful scenic area. Uh, and so that's always brought kind of a, a, um, a beauty to, to that. But for me, I think I actually out in nature, it's more the, the terror is what reminds me of God <laughs> more. Um, so I remember we, we went to, um, my wife and I on our, on our honeymoon went to Niagara Falls and I've used this illustration here for representing the glory of God, you know, the, the weightiness, the heaviness of it. Um, we went to Niagara Falls and I remember as we were walking close, we we're at the top of the cliff, you know, walking close yeah. to the top we to see the water going down. And as we were walking, there's just kind of this low rumble that I could feel and it just, I just felt terror. And as we got to the edge, I could see the just massive like force of water um, coming over towards the cliff and down. And I just was so terrified. Oh, man. And I, we were probably like pretty far from the edge. I grabbed a hold of Lottie and tried to grab a hold of the ground, like the grass blades, like don't get any closer. It's scary. It's terrifying. So oh, um, man. things like that, big like mountains, like, heights, things like that bring a lot of terror to me. And there is an aspect of God's weightiness, just in how insignificant I am that out in nature, I, I get, uh, I get a little bit of that. The only other times that I've gotten that is actually big man-made structures. Like I think I, it was a while ago when I checked this out, but like, uh, Duke chapel, um, Dude, yeah. yeah, in there. And then, uh, where else, uh, there was a, uh, a, a cathedral in Montreal that was just huge and beautiful inside and a lot of symbolism, but uh, kind of like you look straight up and you look at the, the um, uh, uh, nave, like the, uh, uh, the lofty, the yeah. vaulted ceiling. And there's just a little bit of a 
a scariness to it, how high up it is and how you feel really small in, in, in a comparison. So that's, it might not be the, yeah. the beauty answer, but the, there's definitely a weightiness that uh, yeah. nature and then those structures in particular bring. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, in my mind, that's what, that's the feeling I imagine people had when they met angels in the Bible, you know, mm -hmm. with the, where they always had to say fear or not. Like, I feel like that's gotta be that feeling. Yeah. You know, of just, yeah. All, all, not like insignificance, just of like, yeah, I, I think terror is a good word. I like Yeah. That. I mean, you, you also, you come across angels in the Old Testament and they're covered in eyeballs and multiple heads and oh, yeah. that itself, like <laughs> that's from a sci-fi movie. That that itself is pretty oh, yeah. scary too. <laughs> yeah, you could get a good, like a sci-fi horror director to make a movie like, about these angels. It'd probably oh, yeah. be pretty, pretty cool. But uh, yeah, so, so the next question is, would you share a moment with us, if you have one, that you felt a special connection to a painting, a sculpture, or anything like that? And um, it doesn't have to be a religious one, just something you felt a connection to. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I might reference this. Uh, for me, it's it's not as much been the visuals. I mean, apart from what I had just mentioned, the aesthetics of like a sanctuary, um, there are some classical paintings that have really jumped out at me. And I think part of it is mm -hmm. the beauty, the realism of, of that. Um, but for me, oftentimes it'll be music. And I, uh, I don't listen to music as often as I used to, but uh, classical music in particular, um, Baroque era classical music really kind of sweeps me up, uh, you know, as, as it's going along. And, and there's a, a beauty to it and kind of almost a, a perfectness to it that, um, that I, I really appreciate. And it's part of, hard to kind of describe in words. Uh, people who are more into like more articulate with music uh, would probably be able to explain why, but um, yeah, that's what yeah. I would say. And I, I, I love Bach. Bach, yeah. um, uh, Handel, um, I think Hayden maybe. I, I, I Yeah. It's been a while, but uh, those mm -hmm. were the Bach is probably the main one that I, I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've answered this one before on the show, but one I've been thinking of since we've been doing the series, that's like a much less sophisticated answer, I guess. Bob Ross. I always get like a special, like there's something special about it because yeah. he makes these beautiful paintings, mm -hmm. but when you watch it and it's like such simple strokes, such simple things make this complex, beautiful painting. And I'm like, man, mm -hmm. there's something deep there, you know? Yeah. And how he's able to, you know, big mistakes are able to cover it up by little trees. You know? Yeah. Something there. It's just like, wow. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's one of those where it's like, especially me, because I always put myself in things. Maybe I'm narcissistic, but I'm like, I, I feel sometimes like I'm simple. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's also a part of the beautiful painting. Like, uh -huh. that's a part of it. Okay. So um, it, there's been a lot of studies that show there's a healing aspect to beauty. Whenever, you know, humans perceive or hear music that's beautiful, that kind of stuff. Um, Kelly, do you believe there's a reason that God might have wired us this way where beauty has a healing aspect? I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of stories in scripture like David playing music and mm -hmm. uh, it helping uh, uh, Saul with his demon affliction, essentially. Um, yeah. I haven't really done a deep dive into that. Um I do know that beauty is, I mean, is, is like a transcendental value, like goodness and truth that um, its origin is in God 
himself and his nature. So I think in some respects, it, it, you know, if God is, I guess if God is where healing would come from and a deeper connection to him, um, mm-hmm. through things that are beautiful, would it would make sense. I don't entirely know. I haven't thought a whole lot about that, mm-hmm. uh, the healing aspect of it necessarily. Yeah. But I would I would suspect because you'd have a deeper connection with God through through beautiful created things. I'm gonna throw in a bonus question for this section. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I um I know since last time you were on, you've had two children. Yes. Um has becoming a father changed how you view beauty or like how does having kids around change how you view things um well i guess beauty could be a lot more messy uh I, I will say this. I, <laughs> yeah like, okay this is this is weird this is personal um yeah. uh nothing really theological to this necessarily or maybe it, it'll turn out <laughs> to be at the end um but i didn't particularly find children beautiful beforehand i thought they're kind of snot nosed and like yeah i guess we can okay um I having that. two girls um they are incredibly beautiful you know um yeah. our oldest clementine um just has an incredible smile beautiful eyelashes mm-hmm. um just everything about her is beautiful and same with our our youngest uh felicity um although I think babies sometimes could be sort of not photogenic also. <laughs> uh, and in, in, in honesty, there's, there's probably some bias to that because looking back at, so Clementine had some significant um, medical issues and there were times that she just did not look great. But at the moment we thought she was, wow, she's so beautiful. And then looking back, it's like, wow, she really looked rough and we didn't notice it. Um, yeah. I, and I'm sure that there's some level of relationship that, that causes that, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess little kids uh, can be beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I get that. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I know it's not the same at all. But just thinking of like photogenic beauty, I guess because you're mm-hmm. like sometimes it's hard to get babies in a photo. I'm like, you know, it's so funny because I was thinking about like recently I had a picture I, I posted of, of me and my dog, and he's sitting there and he's smiling at the camera, and I'm like. He looks like such a good boy. Like this looks like such a photogenic thing. What they don't know is how much time you had to like pin him down. He's trying to run everywhere. And it's like, actually, he's not. It just so happens I held him for just a moment. And my wife said outside, even though we were outside. And he looked at her right when she said that. And we got the perfect picture. But that's not that's not real. Mm. <laughs> the dog's beauty is in running around and acting crazy. He is not sitting still. <laughs> oh, man. But, um, so I've not done this before, but we do a segment before we get to like the unique aspects for this show specifically, um, where we're doing with everyone called the artist corner. And, uh, what we'll do is, uh, we'll take seven minutes and ask some of the questions from this list, not all, maybe just one, just depends on how long you want to take on the question, you know? So, I'll do it in just kind of a random order. I'm just going to pick some questions and we'll take some time talking about it. Okay. Um, does your church have stained glass? And if so, what's on it? We don't. Um, I love stained glass. Um, stained yeah. glass is one of my preferences um, yeah. of, of church aesthetic, but we, we don't. Um, we're, uh, but yeah, so we don't. <laughs> we, don't right. we can talk about that, but we don't have stained yeah. glass. Well then, uh, what kind of wall decor is around your church. Yeah. What's the significance of it? 
So we do have, um, we have icons, iconography. There's two icons um, towards the front uh, of the sanctuary. One of the Virgin Mary with Jesus in her, in, in her womb as a child. And then the other of, G- of Jesus as the good shepherd. Um, both of those are pretty significant. And the one of the Virgin Mary is actually, the focus is not on Mary, it's on Jesus in her womb. Um, and her role in that. And, and both of them kind of point to Jesus, different aspects of who Jesus is. Um, but that, and yeah, that would, it, it, that functions really in the services, just kind of reminding us of Jesus. So, hmm. man, I like that. I like that. Um, if your favorite Bible passage were a painting, what would it look like? Uh, this would be an odd painting, uh, Phineas, uh, St. Phineas uh, with the spear, <laughs> and the Midianite prostitute and the uh, Israelite man who is sinning. So there you go. There are icons of that. Uh, yeah, so. that sounds like a very violent painting. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, his, his zeal and his faithfulness, though, is, is what, uh, to me, uh, you know, uh, stands out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um Mm. What is the most unique piece of art that you have ever seen or heard? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if That's I can fair. answer that. I mean, because what comes to mind, actually, uh, and I don't know if I would even agree with this, but the uh, film Tree of Life, uh, is that Terrence Malick, I think? Yeah, was a really unique um, work of art. Hmm. What is what is that one about? I don't it's even a, know that uh, one off the top of my head. A film, um, and uh, it it's kind of about the themes of uh, uh, gosh, it's been a while. Theme of, of basically growing up, and then God's place in it, and in, in the midst of tragedy, and there's like a reference to to Job. Um, there's this whole scene that's beautiful of um, uh, uh, basically a mother who's crying because her her son who's older had passed away and kind of asked, where were you? And it goes back to creation. Uh, it's uh, in this artistic depiction of creation reminds me of uh, in Job, God saying like, where were you? And I laid the foundations of mm-hmm. the earth, you know, and that's uh, to me, it, it, it plays a, a role in, in um, it, it kind of uh, it's to me, it's a theodicy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. Man, that's cool. That's cool. So does your now church I might be wrong in my interpretation of that. I'm going <laughs> off of memory from years ago, but it came to mind. So yeah, no, that's good, man. Um, does your church have any statues that we could discuss? No statues. Um, actually, I'm looking at a, a crucifix with Jesus on it. Um, and the the reason why I think it's probably okay is that. Um, it, statues in and of themselves, I don't think are bad. It's if they are of things uh, that will detract from away from the Lord. Hmm. Um, but a statue of Jesus or a picture of Jesus, I think is okay because we're told not to go after idols in Deuteronomy because when you looked at, like when, when God appeared on Mount Horeb, there was no form. Hmm. Um, but then we hear in John, first John one, um, oh, where is it? Let me see. First John 1, unlike Deuteronomy 4, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, mm-hmm. a life that was manifest and which we have seen and testified to it, that which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, 
So the point behind that is Jesus is physical. He is visible. He's incarnate, unlike, you know, God as he manifested in the Old Testament. And so it's okay to have depictions of Jesus. You do have statues in the Old Testament too, like Mm -hmm. cherubim, uh, the 12 oxen, Uh I think it's 12, right? Um, Or it might be eight. I don't remember. Uh, The the bronze serpent and God uses these and commands these. And so um, I I think it's not statues in and of themselves. It's what's their purpose, their telos, and what are they depicting? So but we don't have statues in our actual sanctuary proper. Um, Mm. Two icons, but no actual statues. I think, you know, that there's probably a good reason to be somewhat hesitant of statues in general. Hmm. All right. One more then. How do you use music or other art in your worship time? So we, um, you know, apart from a general aesthetic of what a, a sanctuary, you know, worship space looks like, um, you know, and apart from the icons that are up front, which we don't use them in any particular way, they're they're kind of there as decor and maybe for teaching. Um, music is probably what would be the biggest art um, in, liter- in literature. Uh, so we have a liturgical worship. Um, so there's set lines, um, uh, often call and response in our worship service. And oftentimes it's poetically beautiful. Um, so people would, and so that's art in a different way. It's literature as opposed to visual art. Yeah. Um, but people know the terminology, like know the words of ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Dearly beloved, we have gathered here today in the presence of almighty God. Um, with this ring, I thee wed. The, all of these different beautiful literature uh, uh, pieces of, of English literature come from the Anglican worship service, actually. Uh, and then many of the great hymns of old, which have been there for centuries, uh, we would repurpose. And we're okay with taking some from other traditions. Like the Baptists <laughs> come up with a lot of good hymns. We'll take them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As long as yeah. Jesus is the sinner, then we're good. Good stuff, man. Center, not not center. Hopefully you, you heard what I said. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now we're going to get to kind of the, the meat of the conversation. Um, we're going to specifically talk about the Anglican church in its relationship with art and stuff. But um, mm. first, Kelly, a lot of people think kind of think of the Anglican church as like the in-between Catholic and Protestant churches. Like it's like halfway both, like almost mm. like a hybrid. <laughs> um <laughs> So, uh, you know, I don't know how accurate that is, but it does make me wonder, how does the use of imagery compare for between the Catholic and Anglican churches or yeah. you know, and Protestant, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that is and isn't accurate. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. So um, historically, the Church of England, which is where we get Anglican from, um, did it separate it with the entire established church uh, disaffiliated from uh, the Pope the, from the Roman Pontiff and went through Reformation. And so it kept uh, a lot of the liturgy, all the church buildings, um, the structure of bishops and all of that kind of stuff. So there is a sense of like, it, it does seem very Catholic and yet it re- it's reformed in many ways. Historically on paper, theologically, um, 
we could say England was between Wittenberg, which is like the Lutherans, and then Geneva, mm-hmm. the Reformed. So that's the in-between. We're between the Lutherans and like the Continental Reformed on paper. Um, and so that being the case with images, there was a, a hesitation towards Im- use of images. And that a lot of that came from the Reformed side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, for And I'll give you an illustration. The, the Book of Homilies is one of the... Anglican um, uh, formularies. It's kind of one of parts of part of our confession of faith. And one of the homilies is called, called on the peril of idolatry. It's a sermon basically lambasting the use of images, icons, and things like this. Mm-hmm. Now it was very much uh, iconoclastic, uh, uh, warring against icons, yeah. advocating almost for smashing and ridding of icons. And Queen Elizabeth uh, crossed some parts out and added some words, essentially saying, <laughs> well, images in and of themselves aren't that bad, but because of what's the context, you know, they need to be moderated a lot and we need to be very cautious and careful. And so mm-hmm. what, so there has been a historic hesitancy towards images in England, but an openness more so than you find in Geneva or anywhere else. Um, and so, you know, and Lutherans are open to the use of images. They're they're Protestants, but higher Protestants, mm-hmm. higher church Protestants. So they use images, but they'd use it for teaching, you know. So stained yeah. glass, icons, even statues as teaching tools, not for veneration or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So and I think if there's use of images, that's a good that's a good use. As English history went on. There's this thing called the Oxford Movement, which actually re- reappropriate a lot of historic Christian things. Uh, some might call them Roman Catholic things. Uh, so there, the use of, of images for veneration kind of was reintroduced mm-hmm. through that. Uh, and then Eastern Orthodox veneration of images was sort of reintroduced. I would say the probably most Anglicans would be hesitant of venerating images, mm-hmm. honoring them. Um, I think Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox would want to make a distinction between honoring and worshiping. Some of that gets muddled. Um, and so historic Anglicans have said that's probably a, a little too far. Um, mm-hmm. But a use of it for teaching is a, is is appropriate. Um, and then in historic uh, English churches, you have a lot of um, the artwork that came pre-Reformation carried over, um, but you'd also have smaller parish churches that had no stained glass, no images at all. They were very pre- plain. They looked almost Presbyterian, as you might you might imagine. So you'd hmm. kind of get historically, you'd kind of get both. Um, so it's all over yeah. the place, but it's more of a, a moderate view of of the use of images in worship services and in sanctuaries. Yeah. So. Yeah, makes sense. So you mentioned there was some things that kind of pulled over from the Roman Catholic Church. Can you think of any specific images that remain the same from the Catholic Church that Anglicans use? Um, not specifics. Um, yeah, not not specific. I mean, like <laughs> obviously, we would have in common with Rome the use of crosses, um, yeah. the church architecture, uh, the use of stained glass, and stained glass could be like shapes. They're just random shapes in an, you know, that, that are just yeah. beautiful or they're the images of Jesus and other saints or Bible stories. And I think a lot of that carried over. 
um, from pre-Reformation days. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't think, I, I don't know specifics, but there's a, there's probably a lot of overlap. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like you kind of touched on it, but do, are there Anglican churches that have statues or icons of like some of the saints on display or is that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, like biblical characters. We have, we have, uh, the Virgin Mary, for example. Um, I think you'll probably see more often, uh, biblical saints but i mean and this gets into like do anglicans have saints like the church of england and then historic some historic protestants do have um they do honor um uh men and women uh of the faith uh after the canon of scripture closed Mm -hmm. good uh good christians solid christians who are a good example for us since we would call them saints you know Technically, we're all saints, mm-hmm. but there are some that their examples are worth following. And so mm-hmm. we have, I mean, we have a whole calendar uh, commemorating um, saints of all kinds. But, um, you know, I think most of the time you'd see Bible stories, Jesus, uh, biblical saints. Mm. Yeah. So that yeah, makes sense. That makes sense. Don't expect a C.S. Lewis statue when I go to an Anglican church. Um Maybe I think we can get a holiday. Have, yeah. I think we should have Saint Saint C.S. Lewis statues. Yeah, yeah and that'd be fun. He was, he was, <laughs> he was an Anglican saint. He doesn't yeah. belong to Rome, or you know, he's Protestant, yeah. so yeah. he's ours. Yeah, he's a good one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh man, yeah, we're we're joking. Of course, we love Tolkien too. Um, yeah, for those he's, who don't he's, know, he, he was gets Catholic, a but we like him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Some specific images and stuff that we do know the Anglican Church uses. Um, one is the compass rose. Um, that's the thing doing a podcast about art. We're just gonna have to look some of this up. Look up what a compass rose is if you're listening. <laughs> but Kelly, what can you tell us about this image of the compass rose? I think the compass rose has um come into prominence um in more recent decades, maybe um. Uh, the past century or so, but, um, and, and actually it's interesting. There's an, a website called Anglican compass and they use a compass rose as their insignia. Oh, and they, cool. uh, they're kind of the front porch of, of Anglicanism, uh, on online. So if you have questions about what Anglicans are and what they believe and why they wear funny clothes, that's a place to look. <laughs> um, but, uh, the compass rose in particular, uh, represents the globe global, the, uh, international global uh reach of the anglican way so as england um proceeded to take over the world (laughs) the the church of england um took uh took prominence in many different places in the u.s even us who we threw off the shackles of the king we still had a an anglican church here in america even preceding Mm -hmm. predating uh, the American revolution. Um, yeah. and so all over the world, there are Anglicans, uh, everywhere they speak English, there are Anglicans. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's what the compass rose in particular represents is just the, um, the global, uh, reach from North, South, East, West, all over of, of, uh, of Anglican Christianity. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I really like the, the compass in context of church, but it is interesting because you do have this of like almost two sides of the image where it's like mm. one is, oh, yeah, that's right. We were colonizers. 
And then the other side is, but it's still the church's calling to reach everybody, but maybe not like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A yeah. mixed bag. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and then in more, and then other, and, and there are some places where uh, the message was embraced wholeheartedly and spread like wildfire. So in yeah. Africa, as an example, the church of Rwanda, church of Uganda, uh, and the churches in those areas, they're all Anglican churches. Um, but oh, they they uh, really took root uh, in the early 20th century through the East African revival. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and, and right, right now, the, so everyone thinks of England as the, uh, the main church in the, in the Anglican communion or the Anglican, the yeah. worldwide Anglican communion, global Anglican communion. But in reality, uh, it's the global South that really runs the show right now um, oh, in South America and Africa and all these places that people brought the gospel. The gospel actually took root. And in the West, largely um, the uh, Western churches are dying. And so there really it really is a, a, the, uh, a global church in part because the majority <laughs> of the largest province is in Nigeria. Hmm. The average Anglican is not in England, but is a, uh, a sub-Saharan African, if you think about it. That's, huh, man. I think I knew that there were a lot in uh, in Africa, Anglican churches, but I guess I just never would have like, this is what the Anglican church is. You know, like usually you do, you think of the English. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so the Anglican church does have a flag, mm-hmm. you know, and it's one thing we've talked a little bit out throughout this series about is just churches, church flags, Christian flag kind of stuff. Um the Anglican Church's flag it has a compass as the predominant, like the compass rose is the predominant symbol, but it also has uh, Saint George's shield in the center with a I don't know how to say this word is miltre is that am I saying that right? miter miter it's one of the little uh, oh, I saw an L yeah 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 okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bishop hat at yeah. the top of the compass. Um, could you kind of unpack some of the symbolism of this imagery for the Anglican yeah, flag? Yeah, and I course? think that's I think that that imagery is predominantly used for like the official on paper Anglican Communion office. Um, so mitre is just a bishop hat, um, mm-hmm. and uh, not all bishops wear bishop hats. Actually, I think for a long time Anglicans did not wear them um, after through yeah. the Reformation, um, and the uh, this the Saint George shield flag uh with a saint george cross on it is uh saint george is the patron saint of england so he's kind of like the guy so there you go there's a uh non-biblical saint right there yeah i guess Um, (laughs) his flag is the is used for the church of england but it's also been adopted by several different churches uh anglican churches all over um, so the Episcopal Church has a variation of it. The Anglican Church in North America, which I'm part of, has a variation of that, has the the shield with St. George's cross on it, which I think it's a red cross, white background, mm-hmm. and then in a shield. Um, and uh, it so the, the Anglican Church in North America's insignia has that shield in front of a globe. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the so uh, Anglican churches all over will use that as their as their insignia as their as their coat of arms and sometimes we'll use it within a coat of arms yeah so is it just because saint george was um english or what what is the significance of where he has such a a predominant place that's a good question i'm glad you asked that question and uh next question (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, but he's the, he is the patron saint, and I don't know exactly why that is. So okay. I, I would have to just I'd have to make a quick Wikipedia search. But I'm just going to be transparent. Y'all can do that on your own. Yeah, fun. Yeah. So then, um, I, I guess on the North America version, the globe just kind of takes the place of the compass. The same kind of symbolism of just reaching everywhere is that kind of. Yeah, I think so. And I think um, in that insignia, North America is is center on the globe because it's the Anglican Church in North America. So whereas the Episcopal Church, uh, which is the historic Anglican Church in North America, was United States. Canada has a separate uh, Anglican Church. Mexico has a separate Anglican Church. Um, There's a lot of history as to why ACNA is separate from the Episcopal Church. Look that up on your own time. Um, the Anglican Church in North America, uh, not you, Josh. I'm talking to the, your, your audience. <laughs> no, uh, that's fine. I'll, yeah, um, the uh, Anglican Church in North America is it overlaps with Canada and Mexico, and has an, some it has an international diocese also. So it's a little bit more intentionally wide reaching. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. I mean, so I'll. I'll I mean, J.I. Packer was part of the Anglican network in Canada, which is under the ACNA umbrella. Um, but that's Canada. That's not U.S. in particular. So it's there is a little bit more of an international North American focus. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Sorry, I'm just processing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that all makes sense. So are there any other images from your tradition or just from other Anglican traditions that you're particularly fond of that you'd like to mention? Um, In particular, I don't like, like that, like big insignias i can't really think of any i mean there are some artwork and some the aesthetic i'm, I'm a big fan of i mean Ooh. so if if That's i were not anglican, if i were not anglican i would have been i would be like a high church lutheran or even i would have to be a very high church presbyterian but i don't yeah. think i i don't think i would <laughs> feel at home entirely um but um the choir dress the vestments the um the aesthetic and layout of the of the church worship area, um, which includes sanctuary and what's called a nave, like an upside down ship. That's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that has deep symbolic significance, and I really appreciate that. And so that's maybe that's not exactly what what you're asking, but there is a sense of the aesthetic. I'm, I I I, um, I really appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's one thing really interesting. I became, you know, you become more and more aware of things as you get older. Mm-hmm. But I remember as I'm going to just say as a youngling, cause I don't want to say a kid. Cause I don't know how, how young I was when I thought this, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to go star Wars youngling. Um, <laughs> but I remember for a while, this conversation only sat at do good Christians go to a church where you're wearing like t-shirts and jeans and there's nothing on the walls because you come as you are and you don't want anyone to feel left out if they visit your church or do good Christians wear a suit and tie to dress your best for God. And you know, that was like the whole conversation. And then as you grow older and you learn about other churches and stuff, it's like, Oh no, this, that was like the, that question was like the small scale. And there's actually a huge, like, overarching thing within the church of should priests wear robes, you know, is, um, should there be a a sense of awe to the sanctuary or should it be, you know, more casual, that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. yeah. What, 
What is it for you that draws you into an aesthetic that's more this sense of all of the the robes, the aesthetics that you were talking about? Like, what is it that draws you into that? Uh, I think an emphasis on transcendence. And I think that that in the Old Testament, the temple, there is a sense of which it points to the the old and the new creation because there's overlap with Eden and there's overlap with what you hear with the the new Jerusalem. But I think a lot of it with that worship is this symbolism that points upward. As I mentioned with Hebrews 8, um, it reflects kind of what's going on in heaven. But and this could be controversial um, to say this, but um, you know, there's positives and negatives to Harry Potter. You know, um, yeah. you know. Uh, so a lot of people were like, "Oh, Harry Potter's introducing witchcraft," and I'm like, I think a lot of that was overblown. There's also a sense of like, well, now a lot of people our age are Wiccans, and I'm like, is Harry Potter the reason? I don't know. <laughs> um, there's that, but there's also the sense of Harry Potter really pointed to something otherworldly. When you watch the mm-hmm. movies, I mean, Hogwarts is this giant cathedral style thing. Yeah. They're all wearing robes. Um, I actually think that they're LARPing Anglicanism. I mean, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It is it's English. Bit, yeah, it is English. So there's something otherworldly that I think worship should be pointing towards. I think, I'll say this, I could I could worship at a Pentecostal church and wear you know, a t-shirt mm-hmm. and, and shorts or jeans. And I would feel comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. And I could worship at a very high Anglican church in the nosebleed section um, with <laughs> sense and all kinds and, and sanctus bells and chanting. And I'd feel uh, at home. Um, I think I probably lean a little bit in the higher church direction because I think that that was the intent in scripture. And historically, like as church histories progressed, that's what it looked like for a long time. Um, doesn't mean it's right. Um, you know, but, uh, there is a sense of like the church after the apostles seemed to look very high church for a Mm -hmm. long period of time. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, um, it's interesting to me. I I cheat personally. So (laughs) usually I'll go to a a smaller Lutheran church, but it has the stained glass and it's got like some taller ceiling. So it's got Mm -hmm. some of that feeling, but it's not like, it's kind of like an in-between for all of it, I guess. Yeah. But every now and then I'm like, you know, actually, I just want to focus on other people. This week's been too much and I just want community and I'll go down down the road. I know a Pentecostal church worth of like people I care about. And I'm like, and I'll just hang out there when I need. And then sometimes I'm like, actually, I really want to just focus on God and tune the world out. And I actually do visit an Anglican church downtown Rock Hills when when I need it. And I'm like, you know, I just sometimes I just kind of go where I need, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There you go, man. Well, I mean, my thought is why not both? Yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think I think there should be. I mean, the ideal of a church is it's a body. We're all members of the same body, family, and there mm-hmm. should be a warmth, a fellowship, and all of that. And at the same time, you know, I think there should be a transcendent because it's about mm-hmm. being with our neighbors and in hand, arm in arm. But also, it's about worshiping God. So, mm-hmm. and I don't know if we do that perfectly. Um, but my <laughs> hope is that there should be, I mean, the, the hope is that churches do that. They worship yeah. God, um, as a household, as a family. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I get that. I get it can be challenging sometimes, but it's, um, it's, I think it's what we should all strive for. I like both. I, um, yeah, yeah. I like both. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that for now. There you go. <laughs> but I, 
Yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm going to throw in a note. If you guys want to be able to visit more churches whenever you need some other things and like kind of do a cheat code like I do, just kind of speaking to the audience, the key to all of it is getting over the need to agree with everybody so hard. <laughs> you just accept that, or I've accepted, you know, most churches I go to, there is something in their theology that I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. As long as they're not saying Jesus isn't really God, I'll live, <laughs> you know, like it's fine. Um, anyway, oh, I mean, you know, there's other stuff than that, but yeah, that's other episodes. We'll talk but, about I mean, other I, episodes. I, I get what you're saying. I think you're, I think you're right. I mean, yeah. like we should be, you know, Baptists and, and Anglicans should be able to put our differences aside and just worship the Lord together because it's yeah. the same Jesus. All you got to do is not baptize anyone that service, that one service. <laughs> <laughs> no one will argue about sprinkler dunk. Um, <laughs> So are there any other images or icons from different traditions that you found meaning in that you'd like to mention? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are. Um, I can't think of any at the top of my head. I mean, I do like yeah. I- iconography from the East. Byzantine icons, I think, yeah. are beautiful. I think they're great. Um, uh, I like um, a lot of the aesthetics of the Roman Catholic Church. I think I can't, I can't go there theologically and, mm-hmm. you know, governmentally. Um, you know, I, I, I like the, uh, the insignia of the Moravian church, which is a, a lamb, you know, the Agnus Dei. I like the insignia yeah. of the Lutherans, which is that, uh, kind of, oh, what is that? Like a heart flower kind of thing. It looks cool, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and so those are insignias, um, and I mean, it, really what we're talking about is, um, you know, I think, I think a lot of churches have a lot to bring to the table, um, specifically with the sanctuary layout, the artwork within their churches, uh, stained glass. Uh, again, our church doesn't have stained glass. I think it's beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so I think that that's a good thing, but, um, yeah, I think the only thing I could really speak specifics towards are him hymns and songs and things like that. And I think, uh, as I've mentioned, you know, Baptist churches and Lutherans, um, for example, have a lot of really good hymns. So a mighty fortress is our God from Luther Mm. is great. Let's let's sing it. I'm down with singing that every Sunday. Um, you know, the old rugged cross, which, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's Baptist. Well, it's true. Um, (laughs) so, you know, why not? Um, yeah. So I think there's like whatever is true, whatever is good, uh, we can think on these things. And I think that that's um, true across from the the denominational spectrum. Yeah, man. And whoever here, whoever gets the credit for prayer bells of heaven, hats off, sir. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So that being said, um, one question we're asking everybody for this series. Uh, usually we ask, you know, for a practical thing to maintain unity. But for this series specifically, we're asking, outside of paintings or statues, what is one kind of art that you think might help people better come together and connect with God? Um, I already mentioned this, but music. Um, And I think personally, I think classical music. And the reason why is because there is something, and and I would say classical, classical paintings also, classical artwork and statues. Because it points to, with the, the painting and, and uh, statues, it points to something real and tangible. 
and and so and true and because of that it points to god in many respects with music i don't know how to describe it but there's something true to to bach for example yeah. uh, listen to saint matthew's passion or saint john's passion um mm. on like youtube just listen to the whole thing and it is incredible it is able to bring out emotions and explain with just sound and singing and not even in english able to explain the anguish jesus had to go through in his um in his uh passion week hmm. yeah i'm trying to think of um what it was there's a national anthem that i found really powerful i i'm actually i'm fairly certain that it was the um the french's the france national anthem I don't know what to say, but something about it's just empowering. <laughs> so uh -huh. hopefully it's not terrible, but <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. Well. yeah, man. Yeah, no, I like I like that answer. Um, what do you think would change if we if more people in the church took the time to just listen to classical music together and kind of think on these things? I think there'd be an appreciation for um, the um, uh, for beauty uh, and a return to that. I think one th one of the negatives of uh, this modern world is there's kind of a subversion of true beauty. Uh, beauty as it were a transcendental, something that's uh, objective and be outside of us. Um, and I think looking at the classics, uh, the, the music, the, the paintings, uh, I think points to reality beyond us. And, I, and, and that's the positive behind returning to this and that again that being the case it, it, it it's not explicitly devotional but there's an uh, an aspect of it that does point to the transcendent to to, to god yeah no. yeah um neither of us are are art critics for the record but <laughs> yeah i'm not I, an expert in art <laughs> no but i do think i think there's something here of our our current times i'm trying to think of the right way to say it because it's not a generational thing as much as it's just a culture thing we put a higher value on entertainment than art and i actually do think there's an issue there um and what i mean by that like even if you look at film at one point the goal of the film was to tell a story in a beautiful way and a lot of times our movies out now it's how much money do they make how entertained was everybody you know what i mean yeah and it's um and you see that in music too, right? Like a lot of your your bops on the radio are, you know, it's it's the thing that concerns me really isn't that it's about sex and drugs, but more about it's literally just about how entertained people are. Can they sing along? Does it catch on TikTok rather than is it deep? Is there something meaningful there? Is there something that actually is beautiful? And I think that's why I tend to be drawn to more sad songs because typically sad songs aren't trying to be <laughs> the number one on the radio. So I think it just happens that those end up being a little bit more um, artistically done. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and I, I'll say this: I think that that also overlaps with worship uh, uh, and in music. So m a lot of the songs nowadays are not sad, um, and yet hymns like "Oh Sacred Head, Now Wounded." Mm. um really point emotionally like they're they're not trying to make to entertain you yes. know they, but they 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 do uh unveil the emotional depths of what what you know of of jesus and what jesus had to go through but they're they're not trying to just entertain and, and uh, churn out number one hit uh to be used in churches 
so yeah yeah i mean that that being said there there are some there are some rent collective songs that i think are good i'm not trying oh, to bash yeah them. yeah yeah rent collective's <laughs> great yeah but you know yeah i think we're on the same page here so yeah. <laughs> the last thing we do for this for all of our episodes actually we, we always do a god moment before we jump into our outro tj likes to make me go first and uh since you're the guest i guess we'll just keep up with that and i'll go first for this <laughs> Okay. give you plenty of time to think about it um man i i had so many good ones i'm gonna stick i'm gonna go back to my pollinator garden this week guys for those who've been listening <laughs> i have a garden on the side of my house that's you know bees butterflies i grow things that kind of like help them in their life cycle so something you know feeding them pl- flowering all that kind of stuff and i haven't like i've seen a couple monarch butterflies but i haven't seen any um caterpillars or anything like that in a while and i hadn't been out there so usually you know, with a garden you have to be out there constantly weeding and doing stuff correctly and the last few weeks have been crazy and i just haven't really been out there um, i went out there the other day though and there was four monarch butterfly caterpillars and one was canoeing was making a canoe and and uh, for those who don't know monarchs are in jane are endangered right now and i was just i don't know something for me, I felt so blessed because I do understand you have to put work into the garden. And I'm not saying, hey, sometimes if you don't do work, it turns out like, no, but I just feel blessed. I feel like God saw that I was busy, smiled on me anyway, even though I should have taken better care of it if I wanted it to, you know, do what it needs to do. But God smiled on me, let that happen. And I just for me, it's just a huge blessing to just kind of see life, you know, even on that uh, minor, tiny scale. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Kelly, you having a God moment recently you'd like to share with everybody? Um, it's hard. I, I, so I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this, you know, because I'm, I'm trying to think. I mean, being in ministry, you see God at work in other people's lives. Yeah. Um, I know he's been at work in my life. We've been in survival mode with uh, of our second baby has, has oh, yeah. kind of gone through a sleep regression and stuff like that. And so um, I've, I've not been nearly as focused on what the Lord's been doing uh, in my life in that kind of a way. Um, although we've, we've definitely seen him at work, um, in in our home life. Um, uh, but I mean, I have a buddy of mine who, um, you know, been praying for him for years and years and years. And in the past, uh, year or so, he's, he's kind of, um, almost returned to the Lord in some respects and he's given me an open door to disciple him. And so in many respects, I'd say that that's, that's one. It's not nearly as creative uh, as, a, as, as seeing a God in a monarch butterfly, but I do see him at work in my buddy's oh, heart. Oh, and so um, maybe I'm just dropping a, it's like, well, you would say that, Pastor. But, uh, you know. That's, <laughs> oh, man, that's powerful. That's, that's good, say. man. It's good to yeah. hear. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, then, I guess um, – I guess we can jump to the outro. Sorry, I kind of stumble on the on this section that TJ kind of runs when he's not here. Um, oh, you're good. So everybody, you're doing, hey, you're doing a great TJ. job being a, a one man band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's rough without the world's greatest co-host. <laughs> For those who get the reference, you're welcome. For those who don't, listen to other episodes. <laughs> hey, so if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, um, an enemy, or a cousin. We do like cousins around here, you know, share it with cousin, everybody, or most people have a few. Um, and then uh, after that, you know, go to our store, 
get those comfy shirts I talked about. Go over to Captivate or Apple Podcasts or Patreon if you want some extra content. And if you want to just support our ministry to educate and unite the church, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, check out our other shows on the Amazon Ministries Podcast Network. I mentioned that before. You know, I do one over there, Dummy for Theology. TJ starting a hockey one up soon. So, you know, tune in. We got all kinds of stuff. Systematic Geekology, uh, me and I'm on there. And then uh, Kelly and myself's friend, uh, Christian Ashley, is like, right now, I feel like he's like the top dog. He does most of the episodes, I think. <laughs> so you guys, check that out. Um, hope you enjoyed this show. Come back next week when we'll be continuing our ecumenical aesthetics series we're going to continue our series here with father jonathan resmini he's going to be joining us to discuss what art is like and how it's used in the eastern orthodox christian tradition so we mentioned that here a little bit but uh we'll talk about it more next week so tune in um after that we're going to talk with pastor joe day about his experience with art in the church as he's worked in and out of home churches and right now he's actually a um a minister of media kind of stuff, online media stuff. So I'm sure he'll have some unique aspects we can discuss. Um, and then after we conclude our series, after that, we're going to conclude our series with <laughs> Professor Chris Moreland of the Catholic tradition. And um, we're going to discuss how statues, other images are used in the Catholic church. We're going to take a, a short break after the series before we get back to our normal episodes that you guys are, I'm sure, looking forward to. <laughs> Finally, at the end of season one, Francis Chan is going to be joining us as soon as someone lets him know. Um, someone's <laughs> got to tell him, but he'll be here. Yeah. All right. Francis Chan's been almost going to come onto the show for a few years now. Yeah, I think. many, many years. <laughs> he's, he's just been in waiting. He's been anxiously waiting for me to send that email. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Again, you could always sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash the Whole Church Podcast or on captivate.fm or on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave us a one-time tip through Captivate. Thank you for listening.